Eat Place Sleep podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country whose lands were never ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Hey mummies, welcome to Eat Place Sleep, the podcast for all the families out there looking for all the answers. No matter where you are in your parenting journey, whether you're experiencing the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, we can help you realise that you're not alone. I'm Claire, mum of two and a certified sleep consultant and school teacher. And I'm Alana, mama of two and a school teacher. Pop your headphones in and join us along with our favourite experts to discuss all things eating, playing and sleeping. It's time to spill the tea. Welcome back. So once again, we're in our professional studios, aka the playroom, and I'm in my son's bedroom, the most soundproof rooms in our houses. Yeah, it's about the furniture and the carpet, isn't it? That's got to be a priority. Let's put a really nice new rug in here, so I'm sure that's adding to the soundproofing. Is that a um, company expense? (laughs) I wish. I wish. Maybe one day. (laughs) How good. We need a podcast room. That would be the goal. I know. I've seen so many um, podcasts with like the neon signs and all of that sort of thing. I wonder if uh, we can swing that into the budget in the next financial year. I don't think so. I think we're um, dreaming a little bit big, but hey, positive mindset, growth mindset. (laughs) True. Maybe we'll just get our kids to do an artwork for us and we'll stick that up behind us on a piece of paper. Yeah. Like the Sheen version, you know how they have like... (laughs) The Temu version. Yeah, the Temu version is just like (laughs) the kids artwork, which is just a scribble at this stage. Exactly, exactly. So let's jump into our high and low of the week. Do you want to start with your low? Yeah, my low is just a really frustrating one. We are onto, I'd say my third or fourth baby monitor. They just keep crapping out. And I think like... (laughs) The more features and the more la-di-da they get, the more that can break, right? Um, Alfie's room has looked like it's zero degrees for the last few months. And it's not, you know, the end of the world, but he woke up really, really hot this morning. So I thought, you know what, it's in warranty. Let's just go and replace it. But it's just a journey. You've got to go all the way into the valley, all the way into baby bunting. So... Yeah, just a little bit annoying. I know, and I have the same popular brand of baby monitor, and I don't know about yours, but my whole screen from like the first few days I bought it was all scratched, like I dropped it. And yeah, I don't know. Don't know if I got a faulty one. Don't know if I'm just extra rough with it. I, I mean, we have carpets, so I don't know why it would be so scratched. But anyway, it's just one of those first world problems that it's a little bit annoying, but not enough to ruin your day. Yeah, exactly right. And I I mean, he doesn't really need a monitor anymore because I can hear him from my room. It's more if we're downstairs still and I just want to know if he's yelling out or something. Yeah, for sure. Well, my high for the week is that we are now back from New Zealand. I guess coming back isn't the high. That was a low, the plane trip, but the actual trip itself was definitely a high. We had my dad's family meet our kids. So after COVID, uh, of course, we couldn't travel internationally. So none of our New Zealand family had met the kids before so that was really special to have their great nana meet the babies and um yeah I just really treasured all those those memories that they made with them that's such a beautiful time and it's such a sign of the times isn't it because so many people have missed out on meeting family members which normally Mm. that's not a problem because you could travel so freely um it's definitely a COVID baby thing isn't it and I'll get into it a little bit more 
during the podcast, but we had some pretty turbulent events happen on the plane and I'm not talking about with the flying. It was definitely all my kids. So funny. Today we chatted to Emily. She is the playful psychologist. She was incredible. She's just a wealth of knowledge around meltdowns and tantrums. And I now know, you know, it's so normal and I'm actually super excited to jump on. Um, We talked to her about her courses she's got available just to equip myself with some of these Mm. meltdowns that are coming our way too. And she brings such a fresh perspective to, I guess, the old perspective around uh, kids should behave and they should, you know, be respectful and all of those things, which, you know, to a degree are true. We want our kids to be respectful. We want them to be well behaved, but also challenging some of those ideas around what good behavior can look like and expression of feelings not necessarily being a bad behavior or being a naughty child. So I thought that was really interesting. Incredible. Let's jump right in. Today we are joined by the playful psychologist, the beautiful Emily. She is a child and adolescent psychologist and she's focused on rethinking our emotions and is an expert at handling those dreaded but also beneficial sometimes toddler meltdowns. So we can't wait to dive into this chat today and learn all things meltdowns, tantrums and some of the upsides of them that maybe we're not aware of. I'm so excited for this one. We all know I've got a near three-year-old little boy and I just need to know how normal these meltdowns are because they just keep coming. (laughs) Yeah. But Emily, before we get into it, we have to ask you a what would you rather question. So we're going to throw you on the spot today and we're going to find out, would you rather sit on an eight-hour flight with a screaming baby next to you? Or we want to see if you'd have a whole month of waking up at 4am every single day. That's a tricky 4 one. 4am every single day. Oh, without a doubt, I would much rather, I would get ready to parachute off the plane at, if I had to do eight <laughs> hours with a screaming baby next to me. No, 4am, 100%. That's so good. 4am is way too early for me, but eight, eight hours is also a really long time. It's one of those yeah. things, though, pre-kids, when there's a screaming baby on a plane, you're you're just in disbelief at how they could still be screaming or still be crying. And oh you're just God. thinking, can the parents sort it out? I just want to relax know, and enjoy my flight. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And then as the parent, if someone looks at me and I have a screaming baby, it's it's sort of like, what do you want me to do? What, I know. <laughs> what, you know, you go full full circle with it, I think, when you become a parent. I thought Emily totally. would choose the screaming baby because you could probably diffuse the situation with your skill set. You know, I can when they can talk to me, but when they're babies, like if you'd said screaming toddler, no worries. Yeah, that's the screaming true. toddler. But screaming baby, there is not much I can do. <laughs> that's so good. Emily, we'll jump right into it. I just want to know how did you get into this specific field of psychology? Because by all means, we all need somebody like you. But what led you into this kind of passion of yours yeah so first of all thanks so much for having me but basically from a really so I have a little brother who is five years younger than me um and he's diagnosed um with autism at a pretty young age so I've kind of always been surrounded by allied health whether it be speech uh therapists OTs, um, psychologists, all of that sort of stuff. And I've really had a fascination in, you know, developmental psychology and, and behavior and, and all of that from a really, really young age. So when it was time to finish school and figure out what I wanted to do, my mum was like, why don't you look into psychology? And it was really her that gave me the kick up the bum. If it was up to me, I probably would have had a gap year and then never gone to uni. So thanks, mum, for, you know, pushing me in the right direction. And then, yeah, from there, it was just like, I just really 
want to like normalize a lot of this behavior that we see and we think is quote unquote wrong or abnormal or atypical. And I really also want to be supporting families that are experiencing real difficulty and there is a diagnosis and how to navigate that and take the stigma away from that as well. So I guess it's a bit of twofold. Yeah, I find too with meltdowns and things in public that stigma comes from, I guess, just the fear of judgment from other people. I, for one, Mm. I don't care my son's having a meltdown. I'm happy to help him through that. But you want it to be quick because of the judgment of the people around you. Totally. And it's so funny because like we're just talking about plane trips, right? Like we went on a plane trip to Hawaii. As we were getting on the plane, I saw the look of the lady sitting right in front of us. And I saw that she was like just giving me the eye roll, like, oh, here we go. And it made me so anxious. I know my kids are legends on planes. I know that. But she put me so on edge just with this one look. And then as we were landing, turned around and was like, they were really well behaved, like as if I needed like a on the back from her. And it just got me thinking like far out. It's just those little things that she thought she was giving me a big compliment. I'm like, no, you stressed me out for nine and a half hours. You didn't need to do that. That's so true. I just took uh, both kids to New Zealand. Um, Thankfully with my dad, he came along with us because my hubby was away on a work trip. So I didn't have to do it solo, but I completely know what you're saying. You feel the eyeballs look at you. I Mm. had my son, Flynn, who is just two years old now. He's been on planes before, but he's always been on the infant seatbelt on my lap. So when we came onto this flight, he's now two years old. He has to sit in his own seat. I didn't think this would be an issue and it was a full blown meltdown. My, well, she's not newborn, sorry. She's five months old now, was sitting on me. He had to sit in his own seat and it was just, it was really devastating for him. He couldn't quite process that. Um, And I just felt the eyeballs. I felt the pressure. Even my dad was sort of looking at me like, what are you going to do? And in my head, I was thinking, if I had have known this would have been a thing for him, I would have practiced this and talked about it and did all those things. But in the moment, I just got a bit panicky and just tried to reason with him, which is the worst Mm. thing you can do, as I'm sure um, you will tell us soon when a toddler's in a meltdown is try to use logic. You just get on the spot and you start parenting in a way that's not always the most authentic. And I definitely felt that in that moment. Yeah, totally. No, you're not alone there. I do that. I think everyone has those moments. It's funny too how you said, if I knew this was going to be a problem, we would have practiced it. There's so many times where there is absolutely no way you would have known it was going to turn into a meltdown. And I mean, when I tell my son he cannot eat the dog food, that's not something you think you should have to practice. But here we are in a meltdown because I'm taking the biscuits out of his hand. It's so funny, but I honestly would love, love, love to know, is there a list of things to go through when your toddler is having big, big, big emotions? I guess it's really really tricky in that once a meltdown has started there is not much that you can do to stop it right once it's taken off it's almost about just riding that wave and going okay I need to keep everyone around him and me safe I need to make sure he's safe that he can't hurt himself because essentially his brain is offline it is he's not being his true authentic self or her authentic self it's trans they're really irrational at that point they've hit breaking point So for me, a lot of the stuff that I want to be doing as a parent is um, preventative. So teaching 
kids about emotions, but also both parents and kids figure out the signs that a meltdown might be coming. So what changes do you notice in your toddler in the lead up to that? What can they do in that instance before it starts and almost catch it? So an example I like to use is, you know, a lot of kids have a big meltdown after school. They might've been masking or holding stuff in all day. And then they see mum and it's just like their safe place and it just all comes out, right? Um, Which, you know, at one point is, oh, that's so beautiful. I'm their safe place but like also Jesus Christ why does everyone else get the easy version of you and why do I get the absolute shit show at 3 p.m if I know that that is something that you know something little something a cough like the wrong noise traffic might trigger a meltdown what can I do to make that situation easier can I bring his favorite blankie does he you know have a favorite udi or a jumper or something that he likes to wear on the way home does he need a snack after school or a drink does he need headphones what does he need and almost going like a meltdown might be coming I know I can't stop it once it starts so what can I put in place before how can I recognize those signs and sweep in before it happens and sometimes that's going to be possible sometimes you are going to see the signs and you'll be able to do it and sometimes you won't and those times that you can't that's not a reflection of your parenting as a parent, I can't reiterate that enough. So many times I think, and you know, I'm sure we'll chat about this soon, that like our kids aren't acting like how society perceives they should. It's our fault and it's not. It's not. When I have a meltdown, it's because I'm overwhelmed as an adult and I need a second to chill. Yeah. And I'd love to hear when we're talking about um, the societal norms, I guess, and expectations of others on our children and their behavior. Do you think this is sort of a generational thing with um, how we view expressing our emotions and I guess how much more accepted that is in sort of our generation? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think in some ways we've come a really long way in regards to our emotions and that sort of thing. But in other ways, I see that we're still like very far behind where we need to be. And I always say our job as parents in this generation is to do better than generation before us because we have access to more information, more research, more, you know, through the internet even, we have all this information that they didn't have. They were making it up on the spot. So I think there has like for that reason though, There's also never been a more stressful time to be a parent because we do have access to all that information. We do have social media. And while in some ways that's a huge blessing, in other ways it really leads to unrealistic expectations because no one's posting the meltdowns in the shops. They're posting the success stories. They're posting the cute selfies. They're posting all that sort of stuff. Like I've jumped online a few times and I like look at my, like when I want to say hello to my Instagram audience, I look like I need to be admitted to hospital like there and I'm like oh well like it is what it is this is like what do I what am I supposed to do <laughs> you know that's my day so I'll share it and so many people are like oh thanks for sharing that and I'm like but what else would I share like I don't want parents to feel shitty because someone is lying to them right so I think somewhere along the line what that social media kind of influence has done it's it's almost made us lose sight of what it means to be a child so we're so eager for children to grow and be independent and, and all of that sort of stuff but we've forgotten that scientifically biologically they actually cannot regulate their emotions or their behavior independently till well into their teens yeah and that's such an important point it is so normal so the main part i'm taking away from this is trying to see these patterns and if you can't Mm. prevent that meltdown from happening and it happens right in the moment we're going to make sure that they're safe their environment's safe Mm. they're not going to run off onto a road or you know hurt a baby sibling or something and let them just ride out the meltdown 
what's my next step afterwards? Is that when I can reason with them? Because that's, I guess what I do is I wait till he has calmed down. And I say to my son, I saw that you were very angry and that's okay. Mummy gets angry too, but I didn't like that you kicked the dog. Is that Mm. kind of where we should be heading? (laughs) Yeah. So I think what it is, is that child's behavior is always trying to tell us something, right? So I always say to anyone that'll listen is you don't have to like the behavior. You can hate the behavior, but you have to always empathize with whatever is driving that behavior and what is driving that behavior is an emotion. So that behavior has occurred in response to a big big feeling child is having. If we focus on the behavior solely, we end up focusing on the wrong thing and we just can't help a child resolve the situation. So instead of helping the child work through the emotions, we almost like put a plug in it, meaning that it's eventually going to overflow again and then create that never ending cycle of just tantrum type behavior but when we focus on the feeling kids start to feel heard and they start to feel less frustrated because they can see that we are trying to connect to them on their level so I always say if we don't help children understand our emotions, how are they supposed to learn to regulate them? That step is often missed and that's what's so important. So for my little one, we were really out of routine for a little while there. We went on a few trips and we were having like daily meltdowns and I would sit down with him afterwards and I'd be like, wow, like that was a big one. You know, you were feeling really, really upset about that you were feeling so upset that mommy said you couldn't wear a jumper do you know why I said you couldn't wear a jumper do you want me to let you know I was really worried because I thought you were gonna feel really hot and sick if we went out I don't want you to feel sick after the meltdown they can they have a bit more of their rational kind of thinking patterns back they can understand that it doesn't mean that next time he wants to wear a jumper in 40 degree heat he's going to remember that conversation probably not but it's all about going hey I saw that that was hard for you. I'm understanding why you acted the way that you did. So what can we do to move on from this so it doesn't muck up the rest of our day? What do you need from me? And what would I you know, like from you in return? Kind of keeping that reciprocal relationship almost happening. And it's almost what we would need as adults as well. When we're having big feelings, we're in the midst of, you know, really high emotions. We don't want someone to tell us a logical thing. We want someone to just say, yeah, I hear you. That's really shitty. Or, you know, that really sucks. We just want that empathy and someone to get on our level. So I can totally understand how, you know, it's the same for our little humans as well. They, they just want to be understood. I had a question around in relation to emotions. And I think this is one of those social media and so much information that sometimes as parents we get confused about what's the right thing to do in terms of talking to kids about their feelings are we supposed to sort of assume the emotion I saw you were upset or do we keep the vocabulary open for them to select their emotion that's something I always find a little bit tricky and I'm unsure about yeah I think that's a really really good question and I think it depends on the child to be honest so I um, have been very lucky in my line of work I've got lots of you know picture books on emotions and I'm always in Kmart looking at all of that sort of stuff so we have quite a few books here and it's something I've been really passionate about kind of drilling into my kids from day one like my youngest Elliot is six months old he has no effing idea about emotions but we're reading the book sort of thing and it gets to the point now where my and I did that with my first and my um three-year-old now can label like quite a few emotions start young don't have to have all the things but you can even like pull funny faces in the mirror and be like okay show me your angry face and that sort of thing um and 
as well, the biggest thing that you can do as a parent is label your own emotions. If you're feeling really happy, talk about it. If you're feeling really anxious or angry about something, talk about it. You don't need to hide those emotions from your kids because hiding them almost instills that like, oh, I shouldn't feel that feeling. Mummy, you know, mum's gone to her room. So she, that must be a feeling I'm not allowed to have or I'm not allowed to show. So I, if I'm being shitty or angry or irritated or anxious I announce it to the house <laughs> mommy's feeling a little bit upset right now because daddy said he was going to do something and he didn't do it so <laughs> mommy's just you know like do it who cares um yeah and and it's a free and really easy way to show our kids that a range of emotions are normal and a range of emotions are necessary and we can move on from them but it also helps our kids then label those emotions so there are going to be times where I ask Luke and my three-year-old like what was going on for you there and he'll say I was feeling really angry because and there are other times where he's so upset that he can't tell me so either I will grab a, a couple of emotion cards and I'll ask him to point. Sometimes he's he can't even do that or doesn't want to do that. And then I'll go, it looks like you're feeling really angry. I can see your eyebrows are going down like this or your fists are clenched. Am I right? Is angry something that you're feeling right now? And then he'll let me know if I'm right or wrong. The thing is, and I think is important as well is you can you can say like you can guess but just ask for clarification because that as well shows the child that you're trying to understand what's going on for them. It looks like you're feeling really sad, but I'm not too sure. Do, are you feeling sad? Is that what's going on? And if they know I'm angry, oh, okay, you're feeling angry. Thank you for letting me know. I wasn't sure what's going on for you. And obviously that process is going to look totally different based on a child's, you know, speech development and age, but that's just the general gist of like what you can do. You don't have to have all the answers and they don't have to have all the answers. It's about working together. When I was um, working in prep classrooms, we had this system where we would talk about being in the red zone and how we would feel fiery and angry. And we actually would brainstorm a list of things we could do when we were in the red zone. How kind of soon could you start that? Because I just don't see my two and a half year old really understanding that. But I guess what you're saying is it's never too early to start, really. Yeah, that's it. And you like you can start and it'll go over their heads for like, you'll see it. Like I did it with Luca and it got to the point where I was like, what am I doing? Like, why are we reading these emotion books all the time? Like, he doesn't give a shit. He wants to read the ones about the diggers. But then one day it'll click. It was for, for me, I, like he's always been pretty good at, at talking about his feelings. But the other day he said he'd really been struggling with soccer. He used to love it. And my husband took him. And when he came back, I was brave and nervous at the same time. And I just like oh. burst into tears because I was like, he gets it. And it wasn't a program that I ran him through. It wasn't anything. It was just consistently talking about feelings, being open about feelings, letting him see me cry, letting him know that it's okay to feel nervous and that you can feel those feelings at the same time. And, um, you know, it's not as clear cut as one feeling and then the other. Like I feel 458 million emotions a day. They're bound to overlap. You know what I mean? And that's going to be the same thing with kids too. Exactly. It's that coexisting emotions, isn't it? I think in motherhood, mm -hmm. it's the most real example for me where you can feel grateful and you can feel miserable or, you know, mm -hmm. any of those really contrasting emotions that don't really make sense. Is there any other advice in regards to 
um, in the tantrum moment when we're either in those initial stages or in that full-blown meltdown i guess i see a bit of information online around distractions so do we jump in and distract them as being a tool but it seems like you're saying it's maybe better just as you say to ride with it through those emotions and not shut down that process sometimes it will work and sometimes it'll do the opposite and it'll buy you a couple of minutes so that you can get to the car And sometimes that's what you need, right? You just need to buy yourself two minutes to pay for the groceries and run. And and that's where distraction can be really handy. But distracting a child from a meltdown is a tool to get to safety, not something that I would say is a tool to help a child regulate their emotions. Because like I said before, it's kind of like putting a little bit of a plug in and you're, Mm. but the the tap hasn't been turned off. So it is going to overflow again at some point. It's just a matter of when. So can distraction be really helpful? One million percent it can, especially if you're, you know, got a baby strapped to you in the carrier and there's like 400 people around and then, you know, do what you've got to do. I'm not definitely not going to sit here and say, don't do it because that would be hugely hypocritical of me. <laughs> That's definitely a liner and I at the moment with our four and five month old babies, one in the carrier, <laughs> the toddler on the ground. Yeah. And sometimes oh I see God. parents at the shop and they're in a meltdown and I'm not paying too much attention to how they're handling it, but you just give them that look like you're doing great. Yeah. The nod of solidarity. Yes. Because you do see, and I'd hate to just be judgmental, but it's generally that older generation that have that, oh my gosh, what are they doing with all these feelings? You know, back in my day, we just give them a smack and move on. Mm. But times definitely have changed. And I'm really grateful for TikTok and the internet. I genuinely Mm. have found some really incredible tools on these websites and things because it is professionals and they are giving backed research advice. It's just a matter Mm. of some days you can take it in and other days we snap. And I think it's also okay sometimes to lose your call. And then I'll say, Alfie, mummy's really sorry for yelling at you back then. Mummy was feeling very frustrated. And again, Mm. telling him about the emotion I'm feeling and why I snapped and reminding him that even when mummy gets cross and she snaps and yells, mummy still loves you. And I think that that what you've described is called a rupture and a repair. So a rupture is when we have a blow up or like if our kid's screaming at us and then we scream as we hit our limit for the day right and then the repair is after the moment when we go back and we talk through it and we're really in that repair mum lost her cool I shouldn't have yelled I yelled because I was angry and I should not have yelled and that's something I'm going to work on and I'm really sorry that I yelled at you you know stuff like that that is perfect we don't again we have this idea that kids need to be perfect 100% of the time but also us as parents have to be perfect 100% of the time and if somebody tells you that their child is never has a meltdown never has a tantrum eats all of it they're lying they're liars cut them out yeah. of your life you don't need that lying <laughs> negative energy around you okay because no parent is perfect and it's what we do 60 to 70% of the time that counts it's our consistency we're chasing consistency not perfection That's such great advice. And I I think comparison can be the thief of joy sometimes when we're comparing ourselves Mm -hmm. to other parents, our kids to other people's kids. But in terms of our children, they're also individual and each have Mm. their own personalities. I can even see from birth some of my kids' personalities and how they've kind of blossomed as they're grown. Um, But how much would you say is personality versus temperament? Like you said, you could see from birth, I've got two little ones that I've parented the exact same way and they could not 
be more opposite. My oldest was a firecracker from day one. He, we always knew where he was. Um, and my youngest, you could like leave him on tummy time and an hour later be like the baby. And, you know, like he's just been like happily sitting there and like his wind, if, if he's like overtired, it's like, like this is the tiniest little cry. It's the funniest thing because I'm like, what? Like these kids are so different. It does come down to temperament. It does come down to personality. And that's why I'm really passionate about going, if your child is having all these meltdowns and these, these tantrums, first of all, it's totally developmentally appropriate. But second of all, there's so much more that comes into it than just parenting that it is not on you. There's so many other factors in play. And I think as well, like, Sometimes when we get overwhelmed, we then fall down the rabbit hole of like labeling a child, even if maybe accidentally, right? So we may label them as naughty kids or shy kids. And by putting those labels on them, we're doing so much more harm than good because it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then that calls into play. It's like, oh, well, this is what I do. I'm the naughty kid or this is what I do. I'm the shy kid. So like labeling a child with an adjective means that you're talking about who they are as a person not just their behavior and I think that's really really important and it got to my little one is slow to warm up and he gets labeled shy a lot and he started saying when I get to swimming I'm going to be shy and I was like oh my god you are not so I think imagine you didn't feel if we're using that example of shy Imagine you didn't feel comfortable in a situation. Everyone around you is assuming they know what's going on for you, like they can read your mind. And they let everyone know this false assumption that they've kind of, they've guessed and they're announcing it to everyone. We would never do that to an adult. I would never do that to my friend sitting next to me if she was having, so why would I do it to my three-year-old, you know, or my four-year-old? So I think when it comes to those terms like shy or naughty or whatever, or let's look at shy, my problem is that, it has those terms have very negative connotations. So shy can mean anxious, awkward, fearful, timid, inhibited. And our society openly approves of being bold and outgoing much more than those terms that I just said. So a child knows very well that being called shy or being called naughty is not a compliment. And then they believe that they're not good enough. And that's when it becomes that self-fulfilling prophecy. So eventually they can come to believe that shyness is a part of who they are and they don't make any effort to steer away from that label that they've been given. So in that regard, I think it's really, really important to get down to the crux of what's going on for a child rather than popping a label on them. A lot of the time we think as adults that we need to label our children and explain away their behavior. Labeling a child says more about us and our insecurities than it does the child. Is Um, there a time when we can be concerned and think, okay, are we bordering on abnormal behaviors at this point? Is there a point where you say, all right, you shouldn't be having daily meltdowns? How do we know that it's not normal anymore and we do need to seek some support for our meltdowns? Yeah, totally. So like something is a problem if it's affecting you and your family and if it's a problem for you guys as a family. So first of all, check in with school and daycare regularly and just see what their thoughts are on the situation and see whether they have any additional information they may able may be able to give you. What the what I think is a common misconception though is that people assume that meltdowns are the sign that there's something else going on. So meltdowns equal autism meltdowns equal ADHD and that 
is not necessarily true. So many children are diagnosed as having ODD, ADHD, and even autism purely because they struggle to regulate their emotions. But emotional regulation difficulties alone are actually not enough to diagnose any of those three things. So if tantrums and meltdowns are the only thing that you're concerned about, then I wouldn't necessarily be actively seeking an assessment. But if you do have a couple of concerns, it's always a great idea to check in with a pediatrician or a psychologist and, you know, brainstorm storm with them and and see what their thoughts is because one of two things is going to happen they're either going to say oh look you know they'll do a bit of an assessment they'll say everything sounds like it's right on track why don't you come in in six more months but for right now I think they're where they need to be great then other thing that can happen you know what you're right you have raised some really important things here I've noticed this as well maybe it is a good idea to jump down the assessment route also great You've gotten in early, you've identified an issue, and now you're going to be able to give your child the support they need to flourish. I find too, you're so right. Checking in with your school is such an important step because I tell my parents of my school kids, even if there is no diagnosis there, putting in place some of these early intervention steps is going to benefit everybody. So what I mean by that is having a visual chart of what is happening throughout the day is going to benefit every single child in that class. Giving them a five minute warning before we pack up an activity is going to benefit every child. And I think that's one huge thing that I take home from my teaching background for my own children um, now and in the future will be those visuals, those warnings, those times, just because everyone will benefit from it. Totally. And that I always say like 99.9999% of the strategies that are suggested for kids in the classroom are going to like you said, benefit every kid. Whether Tell me one kid that hasn't benefited from a sensory break, an extra warning for an upcoming transition, yeah. you know, um, I don't know, a token, whatever it is, kids, all kids benefit from this stuff. So why not implement it and why not have that conversation? And I love that so many schools are, are jumping more on board with that now as we have like, again, more information open and available to us. And I find this so interesting. I knew you'd be out of way in Claire on the labels um, side of the conversation being uh, a prep and early childhood teacher. I actually teach or taught before I went on maternity leave year 11 and 12. And it's amazing to see actually these identities and these qualities that they believe are part of them stick with them all the way through. You'll meet a, a young person when they're 16, 17, some of them 18, And they'll say to you, oh, miss, I can't do that. I'm not smart. Or I can't do that. I'm not good at this. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And they have such an ingrained belief system generally that's been with them for maybe 10 years or more. Um, And Mm. they really carry that as part of their identity. And it's quite sad. And you have to challenge those belief systems then when they're a late teenager and let them know, actually, no, you, you can do this and let's break this down and let's look at this differently. And that's not who you are. That's just a quality that, you know, you, you're not exactly. attached to that quality. Yeah. And it's important to go like, you are not a naughty child. You're a child that's struggling with their emotions. You are not a shy child. You are a child that's struggling with a bit of anxiety or a bit of fear. It doesn't have to be this big label. And I think like we we never use like naughty or anything like that at home. But Luke has come home saying like, oh, so-and-so was really naughty today. And I think it's 
it's important as parents that we reframe that so that our kids don't become part of the problem so that I don't want Luca going to school and calling someone naughty. So I'll say to him, oh, it sounds like he had a really hard day today. Do you think there was something going on that made him feel like he had to use his hands and do it that way so that Luca can go, oh, yeah, you're right. Like maybe that is what happened. Like maybe it's not him as a person. Maybe something happened that he reacted to. Yeah, I like using that language more of that wasn't really a great choice to make as opposed to Mm. you being naughty. And isn't it so funny? You have a baby and people say, oh, are they a good baby? And it's like, oh, no, they held me up at gunpoint last night. He's so naughty. He cries. I'm like, oh, never does the dishes and he hasn't cooked one meal, but I guess we'll keep him. Like, what do you want me to say to that? It's such a funny question and everybody asks it. And, yeah, my new answer is just like, no, no, he, like, robbed me last night. So he's really (laughs) naughty. It's just so funny. But... Um, I wanted to know, you've got some online courses and things. Can you tell us a little bit about what you have available? Because you're obviously just a wealth of knowledge and um, I'm sure our listeners want to know more. Yeah, so I've got a couple of really cool pre-recorded do-at-your-own-pace workshops. One of them is about timeouts, which I think is really important because, you know, there's a lot of information out there going, we shouldn't be using timeouts but what are the alternatives? And that step is often where I find is missed and parents don't have access to that. So I have a really quick one hour kind of pre-recorded little session on timeouts and what the alternatives are there. And then I have a really awesome that I'm very proud of actually um, workshop for parents called Understanding Emotions. And it just breaks down behavior and emotions and what they are. And it works through the steps of emotion coaching so that you're better able to understand how to talk to your child about emotions and you know give you like literal step-by-step guides and scripts of what each step of emotion coaching is and how to develop the emotional and social um you know awareness of your kids and there's lots of freebies included in there as well like lots of pdf downloads and yeah i've I've tried to include as much as possible so that it's really good value for money and it's something that kids of babies and toddlers will benefit from but it's also something that you know parents of teens will benefit from too I'm going to jump on that. Definitely. We attempted a timeout the other day, you know, with my husband and I, Alfie was right in front of us. It wasn't a go away alone thing, but he just laughed at me and was, it was a really fun game. So people say like, you shouldn't do this, but can you give me a option of what I should be doing? So that actually sounds super, super valuable. Even more valuable than what not to do is what do we do then? Like give us the answers. Exactly. So that's exactly. amazing. Yeah. Like what's the point of pointing out a problem if you don't point out the solution? I love that. And also your Instagram, everyone can jump on the Playful Psychologist has a wealth of information on there. You've got some reels. You're often active on your stories and there's heaps of info people can jump on and access right now. Every time I'm in Kmart and I see something that I think parents will really find useful, I take a photo of it, I upload it. There's a bunch of free content on there. So yeah, definitely check that out. That's amazing. Emily, thank you so much. Um, I'm definitely going to jump on those courses as soon as we get off this call um, and go and have a look at those to equip myself with the uh, near three-year-old meltdowns. But thank you so, (laughs) so much for um, your time today. We really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today at Eat, Play, Sleep. We hope you took something away from our chat today. And remember, we are all doing the best we can. If something is not broken, don't fix it. Our journeys are all so different and so are our children, so we shouldn't compare ourselves. If you liked what you heard today, 
please give us a subscribe and show us some love on our socials. See you next time.